You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread that you're not stuffing your face with, with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? We could eat so much to Novocaine ourselves from our own flesh if we really believed that the oppressed go free when we fast we would all cheer for a text about fasting. Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. How many have read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles before in the Bible? loaded with idolatry, so many different idols, like hundreds and thousands of idols all through the Old Testament, and Jesus whittles it down to this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And I love this verse. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Here's the lectionary text for today. Jesus told this parable to those who considered themselves that they were, who trusted that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, as most Pharisees do, prayed like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, aware that somebody else is in the room yet standing by himself. I fast twice a week. Oh, do you? I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have the grace right now to hear you to humble ourselves, and to say with your disciples, is it I, Lord, that you're speaking to this morning? In your name, amen. When you read the moment where Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, 11 of the 12 disciples say, is it I, Lord? Judas says, is it I, Rabbi? 11 say, is it me, Lord? Judas says, is it I, Rabbi? The difference is startling. 
When you say, is it I, Lord, by using the word Lord, you're saying, Jesus, your next answer is the one that I'm going to listen to. I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to question it. You're Lord. Is it I, Lord? But when you call him rabbi, you're saying, Jesus, you're one of many good teachers in my life. Tell me what you think, and then I'll weigh it against all the other teachings in my life and decide whether or not I'm going to listen to it. Let's have an is it I, Lord, mentality today, okay? Because we're talking a little bit about money, a lot about generosity. Generosity is not smaller than money, but it's far larger. It's far larger. The more it's quiet in here, I'm going to get old school and be super legalistic and scare the daylights out of everybody. Just kidding. I will never do that. I'm a Christian. Okay. I want to talk about the essentials for the rest of my remaining sermons before I step into a destiny that I believe God has called me to, and that is to get ordained as a presbyter, ordained as a priest. And I thought to myself, I have five sermons to pour out what it means to me to stand in front of you and serve you in that capacity. And so devotional life is not something that we're going to move from. It's something that we're going to get deeper into. Our devotional life matters. Generosity matters. Witnessing matters. Learning matters. And mystery matter. And they all lead into each other. Last week, we talked about devotional time. And I want to say that our devotional time is meant to be personal, but never private. Never private. I always, my favorite story growing up was always the story of David and Goliath. And as I get older and as I study the scriptures and as I walk with God longer, and you just start to develop, you know, a deeper sense of revelation in the scriptures as you go on, which I pray all of, for all of you that's happening as we get older, that we're, we're tasting the scriptures differently, new, new texture, new taste, new, new ingredients that we didn't know were there. I always am fascinated by the call of Goliath. Send out a man to come and fight me. That is the temptation right there. That is the devil's temptation right there in one sentence. Send out a man to come and fight me. Israel as a whole is called God's firstborn son. All of them together count as one man. But the devil wants to fraction us off. He wants to splinter us. He wants to shatter us. He wants one person to come out because he wants Israel to think they're only as good as their best single person. All of them should have stepped forward and said, here I am, Goliath. A multitude of people should have stepped forward and in a singular voice said, here I am. Our devotional life is meant to be personal but not private. That's why our devotional life, here's the first, here's the first line of preaching to the choir. Our devotional life starts here. Sunday morning is the beginning of your daily devotional life for the week. We went... Yes, I do want to tell a story. We went uh, pumpkin picking this week. We did apple picking. We went pumpkin, pumpkin. Yeah. I think I just got tongues. We went pumpkin picking, and we went to Waterbury, Connecticut. Let me tell you, the drive out there into the country area of Connecticut on one of them fall days where it's like 58 to 62, and it's cloudy, but the sun's still poking through a little bit, and the leaves are just going crazy on the trees, it's like driving through a picture. Like in Mary Poppins 1, when you, they jumped into the picture... Wake up! After that, 
we went out to Frank Pepe's Pizza in Connecticut, one of the greatest pizza places on the face of the earth. <laughs> After that, Jacqueline wanted to go to the mall. Because I really felt like going to the mall at that point. We get there, and I'm like, you know what, honey? You need to get some stuff. I'll take Sophia. You go by yourself. We have 90 minutes before we have to get back because we are going to the one and only Stuart and Marcella Walker's house for another round of pizza that night. It was the greatest day of my entire life. <laughs> 90 minutes. I think uh, this is going to be easy. I'm just going to take Sophia into a department store. How hard can it be? At one point, I had to bribe her because she was going crazy in there. And I, I can't, like, I'm trying not to be a parent who, like, yells and gets arrested for yelling out. So you do that thing where you're like, now, you, you now, now, now. Like, you're starting to say stuff like that because you don't want people to judge you. And then eventually you don't care anymore. But I was at the point where I still cared. So what I did was I took her to the shoe section, and I said, do you like any of these? And she found pink glittery ones, and I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to buy them for you. And I took the shoe box, and I gave it to her, and I said, here's the thing, though. I have to try to find a few things. If you run away, I'm taking the shoe box from you. If you don't run away, you get to keep it, and we're going to get you the shoes. She ran away. <laughs> I bought her the shoes. Because I'm a good, good father, I think. I don't know. But at one point, at one point, she was running, and I grab her shirt, and she does that thing where she leans forward, and I'm holding her shirt, and everything in you wants to let go so bad <laughs> to teach a lesson. But I thought of you. I thought of us. This is legalism. The false impression that you're with me because I'm holding on to you. But you're actually not with me. Every bit of you is leaning away, but law and fear and guilt and legalism is keeping you here. When legalism lets go, the person runs farther away, or falls, I should say, farther away. Holding her here was not proof to me that Sophia is free. I'm keeping her here. What I want is to let go and have her stay right there. I don't want her to be free from me. I want her to be free for me. What I'm concerned about as we head into this topic of devotional life and generosity is that we don't allow the stranglehold of legalism and the burst of freedom that we feel when the church no longer polices that way to accidentally cause us to launch headlong into the wrong direction. And I'm a little bit concerned about it. There was a time where we said, this is the most important place to be on a Sunday, and if you're anywhere else, you're serving that idol. Now, of course, I don't, I don't pastor that way. But I'm afraid that some of us, when that, when that hand lets go, fly into the other direction and start treating any plans on Sunday like they're all created equal. Or you've heard me say, we I believe in tithing, but tithing isn't a command, so I'm not going to command anybody to do it. And that hand lets go. And some of us stay because we understand what generosity means. 
And some of us fly forward because we're launched into a freedom that we're not ready for and end up making some odd mistakes. I remember, Ian, I have no idea where this is going. Again, man makes his plans, Ian, but God may or may not have anything to do with this. We'll find out. I remember I had a friend who went here really, really committed, uh, older than me, kind of part of the reason why I'm, I'm here, part of the reason why I stayed, part of the hug that Doreen talked about. But I remember this one point, uh, they were told, listen, you don't have to be at church in such a policing kind of way anymore. And there was a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And my friend had, at the time, I think it was in the late 90s, he had Yankees-Orioles playoff tickets for the Wednesday night, and didn't go to the playoff game because I don't want to miss church. Wednesday night prayer meeting, didn't go to the playoff game. Then a few weeks later, we had a guest minister here, and it was only his second time ever being here, and it was a Sunday morning, and that person decided to take a Sunday off just because. And I remember thinking, can you just reverse those two? Like, miss the prayer meeting to go to the baseball game, be here on the Sunday morning for the guest minister. Right? But that's how we learn to walk in freedom. It's not exactly easy. And so I'm not going to preach a message about this because it's a walk. It's a discipleship. It's learning what it means to be free. But here's the other thing. I do have to talk about things like church attendance, and I do have to talk about things like tithing and money and generosity because Jesus talked about them. But I want you to understand, I feel uncomfortable doing it because some of us have been in churches that never talked about it. Some of us have been in churches where it was healthy. And some of us have been in churches where it was policed like the Gestapo and it was terrible. And you're always afraid that if you didn't tie the ones, next thing you know, you're going to get into a car accident or your house is going to burn down. Hold that thought. I have a funny comment later for that. That was the longest disclaimer, I think, of 2019. So generosity is being free to love. Generosity, real generosity is never the function. It's a heart condition. And the generous heart is a heart that is free to love. Some of us in this room, we are not free to love because we can't let go of a hurt or we can't let go of a grudge or we can't love the kind of person who would do such things to other people or we can't love ourselves for a myriad of reasons. And we're not free to love. Some of us are afraid of getting taken advantage of because it's happened before. Some of us are afraid of taking advantage of somebody else. It was terrifying to watch George Dimitros walk Jacqueline down this very aisle. I know the kind of man he is. When Pastor Phil said, does anybody object? I almost objected at my own wedding. <laughs> like I was standing right here. Does anybody object to this union? And I'm like, you know what? Before, uh, that's her dad. She's going in the elevator down as you hand her off. Listen, you don't, don't feel bad for me. If you knew George, you would know. I was amazed at the amount of trust my man had. I don't know that anyone has trusted any more in the Lord than to walk her down the aisle. Almost objected at my own wedding. Some of us are afraid to love because we think, am I going to be the one to mess up the love? Not, is it going to get messed up on me? Am I going to mess it up? A generous heart is a heart that loves because it's first been loved. We love because he first, that's what frees my heart to love. That's the safety net that I'll always fall into. If I get betrayed or if I betray, I fall into that. So we're always moving from love, not for it. From it, never for it. 
So when we talk about church attendance and when we talk about tithing, we're not saying God will love you more if. We're saying because he's loved you so much, what can we let go of? What can we let go of? And I have to say this. In the kingdom of God, giving is the way that we receive. Giving is how we receive. Letting go of something is how we lay hold of something. Because in the kingdom of God, we know that what we can't let go of, we don't have. It has us. If we can't let go of money, if you hear the word tithing and you turn into a grumbling Israelite and you want a proof text and go through little verses about new covenant and old covenant, all this stuff, A, I'll do it with you because still tithing will hold up. And B, if we get nitpicky, it's because we can't let go of something. And if whatever you can't let go of, you don't have. It has you. So the way that I receive from God is by giving to God. Because when I give to him, I expand the real estate in my life to be able to receive. Being free to love. Function alone is not love. 1 Corinthians 13.3, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I give away all that I have, And deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love. Wow. That is a devastating verse. I can give away all that I have. I can give up my life and have it not be loving. Function alone is not love. Function without love is manipulation. Doing the right things without a generous heart is manipulation. Having a generous heart with no function is flattery. Has anyone ever been flattered before? Have you ever noticed when someone's trying to flatter you before? Patronize you? You know they want something, so they start off with the things that you really love? You look really pretty. Do you do something different with your hair? They're really pretty. I've never seen your hair done like that before. Listen, I, were both, uh, I was scheduled to work Saturday, but your hair is gorgeous, by the way. You think you could work Saturday so I could be off? How many of you got flattered and it worked? Somebody compliments my hair. I'm like, you got it. What do you want me to work two Saturdays for you? Thank you for noticing. I shaved it again. Jesus told this parable to those who trust in their own righteousness and hold others in contempt. I love this. This is what Jesus said in the Greek. He told this parable to those who tranquilize themselves into thinking they're righteous. Those who hold up something that they look at so much that they start to believe it is true. And what is this Pharisee believing that is true? He's not happy because of what he has. He's not happy because of what he does. He's happy that he's better than somebody else. So he's actually more obsessed with the tax collector than he realizes. The person odds are that you can't stand the most in life, your odds are you're more obsessed with them than even your own self because everything about your life is measured up against them. Somebody said to me, all I want in my life is to not be like my father. That's all I want. If I end up not like my father, who was, by the way, extremely abusive, then I'll be happy. And I said, here's the problem. You're actually idolizing your father. Because your, your father is marking out the path for you, not Jesus. You don't have to worry about not being like your father if you become like Jesus. Lord, I'm happy that I'm not like Dan Savage. I am happy At the very least, if everything else is going wrong, 
that I'm not like this, this joker Dan Savage standing behind me. What does he say as function? Well, we know he's at the temple, so obviously he has good church attendance. He fasts twice a week. It's probably not healthy. They didn't have, like, Google, so they weren't experts like we are back then on everything all the time because you read it on the Internet, so now you're an expert. Just zingers, like, all over a little bit. And he tithes. And Christ says, no, you're not generous. Now, I find this interesting. He's happy he's not like somebody who takes. What does he say? I'm happy I'm not like an extortioner who takes things. I'm happy I'm not like an adulterer who takes trust. I'm happy I'm not like the unjust who take justice. And I'm happy I'm not like this tax collector who takes money. Adulterers take. Extortioners take. The unjust take. Tax collectors take. And the Pharisees saying, I'm happy I'm not like anybody who takes. But what did we read about the temple in Matthew 21? Jesus said, going to the temple is for the sole purpose of making this house a house for all people where the least of these can come. So going to church is not an individual performance. It's not something we hold up as solo uh, generosity. It's something that enables other people to be here better because we're here. So going to church is not an individualistic thing. I don't go to church, nor should I go to church for me. I go to church for you. And if you're doing your job, you go to church for me. So the thing that I need when I come here has to come from you. And the thing that you need when you come here has to come from me. We don't come to church to get our fix. We don't come to church to get our hit. We don't come to church. We come to church to witness to the world that just like Jesus' tomb was empty on Sunday morning, my home is empty on Sunday morning. Empty driveways are as much a witness to the resurrection on Sunday as a full church house is. Why are our neighbors always leaving on Sunday morning? It's a beautiful fall, rainy. Don't you just want to stay inside and watch good morning football? No. I'm not watching football ever again as long as I live anyhow. (laughs) The heck. Defense can't cover their own children with a blanket, let alone a wide receiver. I fast twice a week. Oh, he must be a Giants fan. I fast twice a week. But what does Isaiah say about fasting? Fasting is not for you to say you fasted. Fasting is so that the food you would have ate would be given to somebody who can't afford any. Is that what you're talking about, Mr. Pharisee? I tithe. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And here's the thing. If I tithe and put that money down, and walk away proud that I gave my money, I didn't tithe. I made a transaction. How many people have seen Goodfellas? Come on, put your hands up. We're free. (laughs) There's that scene where the restaurant owner, all all the mobsters keep coming in and running up his tab like crazy spending all his money, eating all his food, and they won't pay their bill. So the restaurant owner goes to Paulie, the head boss, and says, can you please be my partner? Why? Because the restaurant owner knows if, if Dan Savage is now the head boss of the mafia, if I give him, listen to me, the first 
proceeds of my restaurant, then he's going to have a vested interest in the restaurant not having tabs run up and people not paying. If I can get somebody scary enough and more terrifying enough and mean enough and evil enough to take some money in exchange for protection, then I'll know my stuff will be protected. We've treated God like that with tithing. He'll protect you if you tithe. He's not a mafia boss. I don't tithe to get something. I don't tithe to get anything. I shouldn't need anyone to tell me about the benefits of tithing to make me want to. I tithe so you could have a blessed experience in this house. I tithe because salvation's coming to your home like Abraham tithed because his mighty men came back. The first tithe was in response to salvation before there was a law. Before it was a command, before in Malachi, God had to hold our shirts like I was holding Sophia because we were running in the wrong direction. But before that, tithing was because salvation came to other people's homes. How many know people are getting saved all over the world today? That's why we tithe. It has everything to do with other people. It has everything to do with our gratitude that people who don't deserve it are getting blessed. The enemy wants us to tithe because of a benefit it can bring us. I know faithful tithers who've lost a child in a car accident. I'm pretty sure people in third world countries tithe. They give of whatever it is that they have. And they're not always safe. They're not giving to get. They're giving because they're thankful. What did Jesus do with bread? He held up the bread. He gave thanks. And what did he do with it? Well, God, here's the thing. I'm going to break the bread. Watch. And I'm going to give them what's mine. And then you're going to protect me tonight, right? How many have heard, here's what we do. We tithe because God will bless us financially, and then other people will be jealous of us and want to know where we got it. And then we tell them we got it from Jesus, and then they come to church. And then they stay forever because that works. I wish I was making this up. See, tithing to get blessed to make other people jealous is as if the parable that Jesus told went like this. The tax collector's talking and says, I see this man over there who tithes, and I want to be more like him. The Pharisee's over here saying, I tithe, and I'm glad I'm not like him. We've taught tithing like, I don't tithe, but I see him who tithes, and I wish I was like him. So the phrase, I wish I was more like him, or the phrase, I'm glad I'm not like him, is the same evil from two different doors. I don't tithe to make you jealous. Somebody said to me, don't we live better on our 90% than the world does on their 100%? And I'm like, no. If I had that 10% back, I know exactly what I would have. <laughs> However, I guarantee you we have the potential to live more content on our 90% than they do on their 100. Because what I can let go of, I can actually have. Have. 
I actually have the other 90%. I actually have it because I'm willing to part with it. Someone who can't, it has them. And they can't enjoy, they enjoy 0% of it. We're getting to the part where Jesus tells us to tithe. I'm getting there. But it's not just about tithing. See, this is about having a generous heart because it's love that makes my tithing generous. It's love that makes our volunteering at the church generous. It's love that makes coming to church generous. Those acts on their own don't make us generous. You can give for false motives. You can come here for false motives. That's what the whole parable is about, is somebody who is looking at their giving and looking at their generosity and saying, I'm glad I'm not like somebody else. So the point is you can do all of these things and have it not be love. It's love that makes tithing generous. It's love that makes a hug generous. It's love that makes worship generous. Otherwise, it's manipulation and flattery. Every week, there are four lectionary texts to choose from. There's three years' worth of lectionary texts for every Sunday. Sometimes when I get stuck, I just read the other lectionary texts to see if they have anything to do with what I decided to talk about. Listen to these lectionary texts. For those of you who came in late, this was read this morning. Those generous with their time heard it. If you're in a good mood, clap. <laughs> you didn't clap. Did you clap? Jacqueline's in a bad mood. Be glad, O children of Zion. Listen to the generosity of God and rejoice in the Lord your God. He has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no one else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Watch this. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. What is he saying? He's saying my generosity is such that I pour myself out on you as spirit so deeply that myself starts to pour out of you as my spirit. Don't let this skip past you. God is so generous that when he pours his self out into you by way of spirit, his self pours out of you by way of prophecy, by way of gifts of the spirit, by way of the gift of administration, by way of the gift of healing, by way of words of knowledge, by way of supernatural love, by way of compassion, by way of teaching, by way of preaching. When God pours himself into us, he doesn't pour into us enough for us. He pours into us enough for somebody next to us that doesn't have anything. That's how much he pours in. He pours in more than your need. Marcella sent me a clip from uh, a preacher who said, God doesn't meet your needs with grace. He overwhelms you with grace so that others near you are overwhelmed with grace. When we pray, Lord, meet my need, we're praying too small of a prayer. 
He wants to meet your needs so much that the need of the person next to you is needs also met. I pour out my spirit, and then my spirit will be poured out from you. Look at the next lectionary text, Psalm 65. Good old-fashioned Bible study. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. How many know that's generous? Forgiveness of sins is a big one. I just want everybody to know that. That's... Ever see Dumb and Dumber when they kept the IOUs for all the money they spent? $275,000. you are going to want to hold on to that one. Forgiveness is a big one. Hang on to that one. If a preacher ever says, is forgiveness generous, you shout and say yes. We'll get there. Blessed is the one you choose to bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple, who is Jesus. You visit the... Now watch this. He's still talking about forgiveness. But now he starts to use an analogy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. He's still talking about forgiveness. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain. For so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, setting its ridges, softening it with showers, blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. Watch this. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. What just happened? Your forgiveness of me, O God, is just like rain that falls on the earth. When rain falls on the earth, the earth grows. And when the earth grows, flocks can come and feed. You forgive me like rain that causes grass to grow and other things to feed. You forgive me so much that people around me should be able to eat off of your forgiveness of me. Your forgiveness of me causes so much to grow in me that other people eat the fruit of my sin turned into forgiveness. My shame turned into dancing is food for somebody else. Joel, I pour my spirit into you so much that my spirit starts to overflow out of you. Psalm 65, I pour my spirit, uh, my forgiveness into you so much that myself as forgiveness starts to flow out of you. Forgive us our trespasses. Pour into me, and I'll be the kind of person who, when I'm poured into, I overflow. Forgive me so much that forgiveness flows out of me to somebody who doesn't have it, who desperately needs it. How many people know somebody who needs forgiveness in their life? How many are married? How many have children? How many go to work? How many have friends? How many have a neighbor? How many drive on the road? How many know people need forgiveness? And when we refuse to give it, we're telling God he's cheap. I see that hand. You can put it down. I'm just kidding. These are, these, I didn't pick these. These are the lectionary. T- I was so excited. Final one, 2 Timothy. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Is that generous? I'm pouring my whole life out. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. 
but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Why? The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. When I was alone and I was impoverished with relationship, when no one was befriending me, God strengthened me. And he poured himself into me as strength so much that now I'm pouring myself out as a drink offering to you. I'll pour my spirit into you so generously that myself will pour out of you as spirit. I'll pour myself into you as forgiveness so that myself as forgiveness starts to flow out of you. I'll pour myself into you as strength so much that myself as strength will start to pour out of you. And then the, and then the Pharisee. I've given you so much. I'm glad I'm not like the person who needs it. Goodbye. I'm reading these lectionary texts, and it's all the same thing. God is full, and God sees people who are devoid of spirit, so he pours his spirit into people who don't have it. God is forgiveness, and he looks, and he sees people who are pure unforgiveness, and he pours his forgiveness into them. God looks, and he sees people who have no strength, and he pours his strength into them. And now this Pharisee is such a good Christian that he's able to identify the person in his presence who's not and nothing gets poured out of him. He's just content to have God's goodness without it pouring. See the tapestry that flows through that perfectly? What does Jesus ultimately say in Luke 11? But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done. Tithe, go to temple, fast. These you ought, say ought, it's so much fun. These you, it's a really fun word to say. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. God wants to let us go and have us stay right where we are. He doesn't want us launching forward. Okay, so what you're saying is we don't need to tithe and we don't need to go to temple. We just need to love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't do that if you're not doing the other things. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Function has to pour out of a heart that has truly been enraptured by the love of God. It's where generosity comes from. Generosity comes from a heart. That is, so the question is, how do I escape myself, the tax collector? The tax collector was generous with his sin. And that is the beginning of God expanding your heart to be generous with everything else. You're right, God, I don't tithe. I don't go to temple. I am an adulterer. I'm an extortioner. I'm unjust. But I've come to my senses enough to say this. Lord Jesus, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See these prayer beats? There's 96 of them on here. You're supposed to take them once a day and thumb through them and say, Lord Jesus, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Next one. Lord Jesus, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Somebody say it with me. Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
say it over and over and over again. Well, we don't glorify our sin. No, here's what you do. The more you can acknowledge, the more you can love. Why? Because she is washing my feet because she's been forgiven much. And those who have been forgiven much love much. You didn't offer me something to drink when I came in. You didn't wash my feet when I came in. You didn't offer me a kiss when I came in. Why? Because you think you're good. But she knows she's trash. And so she has been pouring her life out onto me. Lord Jesus, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the more she confesses, the wider her heart grows and the more generous she becomes. It's what legalism forgot to tell you. All of the giving means nothing if we're not generous with our sin. I offer you my sin today, Father God, because only you can turn it into incense. Only you can make something good happen where only bad has happened. If this is weirding you out, raise your hand if you haven't sinned. Raise your hand if you haven't sinned since I started preaching. (laughs) When we offer him repentance, our heart enlarges. Why? Because when we receive forgiveness, we receive his love, and his love turns hate into love. His love turns stinginess into love. I I don't want to just preach on tithing because the function alone does nothing. That's the whole point of the parable. The heart that it comes from is everything. Is everything. Being here, witnessing to the resurrection by saying no to stuff to be here on its own doesn't mean anything. But when it comes from a heart that has been forgiven, it means a lot. It actually is transformative for you and for those around you. What I want is generosity, not generous actions. Any preacher can get up and preach to action, preach to behavior. Not doing it. I'm preaching to what I'll never be able to measure in you. I'm preaching to what I'll never be able to see. I'm preaching to what I'll never be able to calculate on a spreadsheet. I'm preaching to your heart. And if you feel like you're holding on to things, if if this conversation about things like attendance and things like devotional time and things like volunteering and things like tithing, if it causes something in you to coil up, all I'm offering to you is say, Lord Jesus, son of the living God, I need to feel your forgiveness more. Because on the night when you were betrayed, you gave everything to your betrayer. I want to be like that. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If you're, con- you're going to hand out the elements for communion, please come now. Can we all, in these last five minutes here, can we all just put ourselves real fast, please, into the night? But may- put yourself, imagine this from Jesus' perspective. You have done, and maybe you feel this way, you have done all you can do for the people looking at you, his disciples, but maybe for you, your friends, your coworkers, your your family, your husband, your wife, your children. And it's the night now that will define everything. And you, it enters into you to know that you're going to be doubted, denied, and betrayed. 
and everyone else is going to run. And somehow, with every good argument to walk away, to exhort, to teach, to take leverage, you hold up bread and you say, I want you to look at this piece of bread. I'm going to break it and I'm going to give it to you. And this is symbolizing how I'm offering you my whole self. The only reason Jesus is able to be generous like that is because it says first he gave thanks. Thanksgiving is first a discipline. That's why David says offer him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. But when you discipline yourself to be thankful long enough, it starts to become an embodied way of life. The word Eucharist, what it means is the great thanksgiving. That's what the word means. I don't like the word Eucharist. It means the great thanksgiving. It's because on this night, Jesus said thank you to the Father on the night when he was being betrayed. On the most thankless night in human history, Jesus is the Eucharist. He's the great thanksgiving. And when you put yourself there, it can start to do wonders to your heart. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you took bread. And when you had given thanks, when you were filled with gratitude, you broke the bread and you gave it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Keep coming to this meal to remember the night, not when you denied me, but when I gave myself for you. And I love this. After supper, he sat and enjoyed a meal. I can barely have a snack when I'm mad at somebody. Jesus had a full meal. And after the meal, he held up the cup. I'm surprised there was any wine left. <laughs> if I'm Jesus, I'm like, let me, let me get all of your chalices, please. He held up the cup. And after giving thanks again, he's still thankful after hearing them talk at dinner. He held it up and said, this is my blood, my life spilled for you. Keep drinking this cup and keep remembering not your betrayal of me, but how I poured myself out for you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, fall on this bread and on this cup that it would be a portal to take us back to that night, to take us ahead to your return. Let it be food for us, for the long journey ahead, the journey of Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, that we might look at the world around us, we would look at our time, we would look at our talent, and we would look at our money, and we would say, this is my time, this is my talent, this is my treasure given for you. Sanctify us that we may worthily come to this table I pray, Father God, that we would come as the Pharisee, but we would leave as the forgiven tax collector. In your holy, precious name we pray. And everybody said, the ushers will release you from the back to the front. Come as the Pharisee. Leave as the tax collector. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.